HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. Today is Tuesday, November 3rd, 2015. We've got some great guests, including Rich from Bridge and Tunnel and writer Nico Kremitis, our buddy Dan McLaughlin from the Pony Bars, and uh, also like to welcome Stephen Valland, who's our, been our great co-host from the Brooklyn Brew Shop. Beer Sessions Radio is brought to you by Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and lagers. If you have questions, you can tweet us at beer underscore session. So, all right, guys, welcome to the show. It's, it's a special show because we're kind of tracking, uh, you know, what's going on in the New York City beer scene. Uh, we got Ridge from Bridge and Tunnel with his wife, who are, he's finally going from his garage brewery to a, yep. a proper commercial space. Yep. And uh, Nico Kremitas, you just wrote about it for, for Brooklyn Magazine. So, Nico, why don't you give us an intro, and, and you, you, you track down Rich, and, and you've been out to his brewery, even though it's not quite open yet. Tell us what it's like out there. Uh, actually, I haven't been out to the new brewery yet. Um, we went to, I met him at the garage one morning in February. And uh, I really wasn't sure what to expect, and it was like it felt like below zero. And uh, Rich was brewing out there, and it was really cold. It was definitely DIY. Yeah. Well, let's go back. Like I, I've noticed, that, that it is possible to get a licensed brewery in your garage. There's a couple rules, right? We know that Paul at Blind Bat Long Island has it. Uh, a guy we know in Washington State, uh, Foggy Noggins, he's also got like a licensed uh, garage brewery. What, what are some of the um, the guidelines, though, to, to have a licensed brewery, even if it's on your, your home property? I, th- I think that the main uh, criteria is that the, the building that you're going to be brewing in has to be disconnected from your house or from your residence. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how a lot of the nano breweries first started, you know. And it, there's, um, there's actually a website, uh, Hess Brewing, and it's a... It's a collection of uh, he he started as a nano brewer. He still might be a nano brewer, um, but he created a website where a lot of nano breweries just posted there. Like he like you know you contact this guy and then he would put you on his website and then it was a whole collection of these nano breweries. And if you go through them, you see all kinds of different scenarios. But a lot of them started in. I mean, there are even ones that start like they took like these angle shots. There was this one particular one where it was a, like a prefabricated, um, like a shed that looked like a barn. But they took these pictures in such a way that it looked like a huge barn. And then the, and then when you went further in the website, there was like this one straight-on picture, and it was a <laughs> tiny little, you know, like a shed for your tools, you know. But yeah, it's kind of, that's where the nano started. Nico, what's, what's up, Blind Bat on Long Island? He, he also started in a garage. Was it a similar story? Yeah, so he's actually still in the garage. He's been trying for the last two or three years to expand out of his shed, and he's been having a lot of trouble just finding a location. But uh, hopefully that happens soon because I know he experienced a lot of the same stuff that Rich did in terms of he wanted to expand production and get more beer out to the public. 
I mean, to me, it's like, you know, we're talking about the definition of craft beer and what that means. But to me, the, the myth of craft beer is, is a guy like Rich or Paul at Blind Bat in their garage working on their systems, m- making small batches of beer. I mean, let's expand that. What, what do you guys think? Is that what craft beer should be? That's what I feel like it should be. I mean, that's certainly what I enjoy the most. I mean, uh, beer doesn't have to be like a business. I mean, just just because Google and Apple start in a garage and become, you know, huge companies, just you don't have to be a craft brewer that also has the dream of running a factory. I mean, sometimes making beer is a pleasure in itself. You know, Rich, when we first met you, you, you used to be shy about letting people know yeah. where it was. But there were right. some issues, right? When you're in like a residential neighborhood, you really can't have people visiting. Well, initially it was more out of consideration for my neighbors. And they were very patient, extremely patient, especially in the summer, because I wasn't always diligent with getting rid of grains. And, um, you know, bags of grains go bad real quick. And... Uh, but yeah, they were they were very patient. It was a lot of me passing beer over the fences, filling pints, and having the you know, having them go in. You know, husband and wife go in, and then an hour later coming out. Hey, here's your clean glass. You know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but but initially I didn't, I, and I I didn't know how people would respond to it. And then I remember there was one article that um, a writer wrote, and she kind of outed me that I was in a garage. And I got I got a little annoyed at her, and then the feedback was totally positive. And I was like, "What am I worried about?" You know. And it turned out it was it was one of the assets to the to what I was doing that I that I was in a garage, and it really was 150 square feet, and it really didn't have a door. And then the winter really was a pain in the butt, you know. And it you know, and, and I'm glad I did it. You know, I'm glad I did it like that. Um, but it, it did no, it did nothing for me, but at just I guess it added street cred. You know, it, it was totally positive. Like driveway cred. Yeah, right. yeah, right. Well, it's a great way to start something. I mean, you're doing it yourself, and and people without spending a lot of money, you're, you're you're proving that you're able to do it. That's kind of how Barrier did it too. Remember Barrier? They started with how did they start, Nico? Uh, a one barrel system, I believe, uh, in Oceanside, and then they eventually moved to a bigger facility in the same uh, town. Yeah, so they built they, they they were building their street cred and and also your you know relationships like now we know each other. Right. I mean, Rich, we know that you built your system, you make your beer, you, you right. even delivered it. So right. every time you you come with beer, I, I get to know you better. Yeah, I, I like that. What's you, Dan? You, you you own a couple bars, the, the two pony bars, Kiabaka. Tell us about your places and. What, what what you're doing, getting beer from a guy like Rich? We've uh, the last because you're huge, man. No, no, you know we're only as good as the beer we sell, and we the last couple of years we've sort of scaled back on trying to sell as much variety as we can, and we've sort of sort of gone a lot more hyper local with a lot more local beer, breweries like Transmitter and and Threes and other half, and we've always been with Barrier since they launched. Um, and then we fill in some of the blanks with some of the bigger stuff from Colorado and California. But, uh, you know, I've said it before, New York City is really the, the more people, I think there's 50 million tourists a year that come through, come through Manhattan. And we're like three blocks from Times Square. And when they come by, they want something that's local. And they want something that maybe they know. So maybe that's Brooklyn Brewery, that Six Point Brewery, some of the more established brands. But they're also looking for stuff they've never heard of. And that's where other half and transmitter and threes and, you know, bridge and tunnel. To come in so we're trying to appeal you know appeal to people that are already in our neighborhood and appeal to people that are sort of seeking us out at the same time so early in the show you said you have three empties so let's talk about how rich gets his beer out because we're setting them up because he is expanding so you know there's more to talk about but you know so you have three empty kegs yeah we've got three empty six on the from virgin tunnel at the pony bar on the upper east side and they've been there a little while um it's probably about a year I'm going to say over a year and a half, Yeah, maybe. So you you had one time delivered directly to to Dan's bar. Yeah. You you know what? I'm so stretched thin, it's it's ridiculous. And it's to the point where um, if it – and it's always only been me, particularly in the garage, because there wasn't – there weren't enough kegs to make enough money to pay somebody to deliver kegs. So I did everything. And then once we started with the new lease for the new space – now I took on not only brewing but building it, and then and then it became just you know like a nightmare for every little task that I, that used to be easy. Now I gotta you know carve a little bit of time out to run out and grab empties, and um, so 
and I've been worried about those those three. I really have been worried about because last year I lost seven from. There was a distributor that I will not name that was going from location to location taking people's kegs, and seven of them walked, and that that hurt from you know for a guy in a garage that I only got you know I would get nine kegs per batch, and you know there went a whole batch right there you know over the course of a couple of months. So I was really worried about those kegs. In fact, so the, I, these are the little things you have to go through. When yeah, you're well, I, I and but you know I deliver everything myself. And I've gotten to know you. And at the time, I was dealing with Henry and every other account. I know them personally. And now that I'm now that it's going to a ten barrel system, it's it's the dilemma is I don't want to let that go. You know, I, I and you know, I like I text everybody. I text everybody. Like I, you know, I could send out a, a blanket email to everyone, but I don't like to do it like that. I text everybody individually because I feel like we're all friends. You know, and. I don't, and that's kind of like the, there's a line that somehow I got to be able to maintain that because this is what beer, craft beer, in my opinion, this is what is part of the definition. We're pulling it back to, you know, cottage industry, which I think is a good thing, you know, and it, and it could be extended to a lot of other industries and, you know, maybe we're leading by example and I don't want to let that go, but that's how I've gotten to know you guys and Jimmy and everybody else. You know? Let's talk about the beer that you poured, and let's pour, pour more of it, too, because it is one thing I do love your beer, and I think that's ultimately what this is about. Cool. Yeah, yeah. This, this is a Vanilla Porter. Um, I, did it, I did it last year, I believe. Um, and all the beers, you know, I, I tell stories for the beers. So this one was, uh, the name of it was Bone Orchard, and um, it's about the... It's about the um, Sounds good, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> It's about the cemeteries. I did a, I did a piece on. I, that's another thing. My my website is literally two years backlogged. I like there's like there's beers that have been out that, I'm, that I didn't even put on the the website. But the Facebook page is easy for me to update. So I always post stuff on Facebook. So whenever I put a beer out, I usually put together a story. And this one was a history of all of the uh, a lot of the interesting stuff of the cemeteries particularly in Queens, because Queens and parts of Brooklyn at one time were basically the burial grounds for Manhattan. And there's a lot of, you know, if you get in, you could probably, there's probably a, a, a number of books that are written just about that. I don't know the books, but there's a lot of interesting details just focused on the, uh, the cemeteries themselves. So what goes into the vanilla porter? Um, well, it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a robust porter recipe, and I use... Um, I use vanilla bean uh, in the boil and also in secondary. And um, and that's another thing. It was easy to do on 50-gallon 50, 50 batches and now scaling up, you know, I'm, you know, doing the ratios, trying to get the ratios up, trying to get as much as I can out of the ingredients because, you know, vanilla bean is not cheap, you know, so now you're, you're adding that much more cost into, uh, into a, a much bigger batch, you know, so... But it's, it seems to be working, you know. I've, sure, te- I've tested the system. Is, is this is this beer from the new system or the old? It's from the new system. And on that note, um, today uh, I headed up to the State Liquor Authority. Uh, I got there. They open at 9. I got there like 9.15. And I went there, laid everything out, and highlighted. I, ha- I had a conditional approval letter. And in the back, there were four items that I had to supply them with. And uh, Lisa woke up early with me and helped me put it all together. And last minute, we were, you know, cutting and pasting stuff and creating because they asked for photos. They want to see photos that you built out, you know. And um, we highlighted everything. Then we numbered each section that they needed and made it real, like real straightforward and went up there gave him everything it was yes ma'am yes sir to everybody that i spoke to they took my they took my stuff i sat there for two hours working on scaling up recipes partly out of my like my nerves were like on edge so i just kept you know scaling up and uh two hours went by in that time they were sending people out left and right you know oh this needs to be notarized well i'm a notary well we don't well you have to go back and get your stamp but i could just give you know it was like they were just tossing people out left and right I said, I'm next. They called, they said, Bridge and Tunnel Brewery. I came up. I was like, yes, sir. I was like, 
hands me the license. I was like, "Congratulations, <laughs> yeah, man! Yeah, cheers, <laughs> Rich." Yeah. So, what does that mean? So, after the show tonight, we're going to go out there and uh, we could sell growlers from the door. Break in your- We could. Uh, we could do. In fact, we're going to. We've been cleaning up for weeks now since you put this out for this radio show because we're going to head back to our to our place. I'm going to pour some samples for you guys. So, when do you think you think this weekend people can go out and visit you? Be honest, what I'm, what my wife and I were talking about, a little bit of nerves because there's some small loose ends. Um, but we're thinking not this Saturday, but next Saturday we'll open to the public and maybe do it Saturdays because Saturday, you know, November fourteenth. Yeah, and Nikos that's the knows. idea. You heard it here first. And there for the go. people out there, where where is it? It's fifteen thirty-five Decatur Street in Ridgewood. It's right on the border of Ridgewood and Bushwick, right off of the L line, the Halsey stop. So it's two blocks away. Yeah. And we're going there tonight. For yeah, right on, man. We'll take some pictures, and you can see. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and you built a lot of things. I mean, so, Nico, what was it like going out there? I mean, I know Rich is a handyman, but, you know, he, you came by and you checked out. You had, you had uh, old floorboards and, and, and other wood that you've found. How yeah. long have you been collecting oh. wood for this Dude, I, I built, bar, man? When you come in, I built it all, man. I mean, I had a handful of friends every now and then that came in when the weather wasn't too rough. But it's been a hard, it's been a hard build out. I mean, I, I did everything from. And if you remember when I first, I think when I, I think I might have been building it on one of your shows. But it it ended up seventy feet of concrete. I jackhammered myself, it's eighteen inches down, double layer of concrete, absolutely grueling. Then after that, pulled all this stuff out. I was satisfied with it, and, and then I was like, well, wait a minute. There's all this dirt and stone that I pulled out. What am, what am I going to do with that? That ended up being 10,000 pounds that had to go out. Of course, I was too hard-headed to go get a dumpster. I loaded it all in milk crates and hauled it out myself. I found a place that recycled it. Everything, when you guys come in, I'm going to be talking your ears off because every, everywhere, I built it. I built that thing myself. So that's that's going to be part of the story. When people go to your, your tasting room, you're going to tell them what you, know you what built I, and you know how you built it. I have a cold – I put one of the cold rooms right in the front, and then I have a 16-tap draft system coming from that cold room. Over that cold room, I put my old boil kettle to show the scale because there was another thing. My old kettles, they were 55-gallon uh, stainless steel tanks. I clad them out in oak wood flooring, which was also one of those things that – was I did it for aesthetics for myself, but also like a like they were there was boiler insulation under them, so it actually helped the process a lot to hold temperatures. People loved these kettles, so now when I was building the next system, I basically followed every angle that I had that I learned in the garage and just built it bigger. So now it's a ten barrel system, three kettles that are also clad out in oak wood flooring from a woman that I. I scrounged all the her flooring she added on craigslist as firewood planed every single board down sanded them stained them polyurethane them you got to see them and i have it to scale here's where it started and now on the back end that's where it ended let's talk about craft he builds the system b- b- built the tasting room makes the beer that's that's my craft right Hypercraft. right cheers go. to your rich and least congratulations cheers rich. we're back in a few minutes on beer sessions radio all right dude cool
Cider Week helps to bring profitability to local orchards while reviving heirloom apple varieties by cultivating awareness of craft cider. Cider Week connects cider makers from New York State and select pioneering guest cideries outside the state to buyers from top restaurants, bars, and retail shops across New York City. Those culinary tastemakers, in turn, help increase consumer awareness of cider's pleasures by hosting public events, tastings, dinners, classes, and pairings that build appreciation and demand for regional ciders. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Yep, Cider Week New York City is coming back starting Friday, November 6th. Go to CiderWeekNYC.com. A lot of great bars and restaurants are serving top quality ciders, many from New York State and others from the Northeast. And Jimmy's number 43 will be leading it off Friday night with uh, the, the cider maker from Black Duck in Finger Lakes. He's going to bring a custom cask of cider, be served on the bar at Jimmy's number 43 on Friday night. So check it out, CiderWeekNYC.com. All right. So going back to real craft, hyper craft, Nico, we got uh, Rich and Lisa from Bridge and Tunnel, and uh, they just announced today that their new brewery is uh, fully licensed. But, you know, it, Thinking about the different breweries that, that we see in the region, you know, I, I still love this idea of these guys starting with, with a garage brewery and, and, and doing things by hand. And, you know, you, you, you're probably one of the guys, Nico, I think, that knows more about, you know, you write for Yankee Brew News and Brooklyn Magazine and Long Island Pulse. I mean, who, who else is doing what, what Rich is doing? Or is he really that unique? Well, I think he's definitely unique. Um, but, yeah, like we mentioned earlier, uh, Paul from... Long Island, Blind Bat, uh, in Centerport. He's, you know, kind of followed the same format. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great thing not only to see them start like that, but to see where they end up and how they progress and how they grow as a brewery. Um, I think it's it's fantastic to see. And, Dan, what, what are some of the real, like, micro nano breweries that you're carrying at the Pony Bars? You know, when we opened six six and a half years ago, the only brewery we dealt with that self-distributed was Chelsea on, you know, uh, 22nd Street in Chelsea, you know, in Manhattan. Now more and more of the business we do is with breweries that self-distribute, these smaller, local, super small. I'm, I'm all for that too, yeah, man. I love very it. Very much so. And you know who's really, for, for me, is our customers, our patrons that come in all the time, our guests. are. You know, you can get some of these larger breweries, some of these larger craft breweries. You can get sports bars, Irish pubs. You can get them... You know, they've sort of, I don't want to say jumped the shark, but they've sort of made the move to, to they're more accessible. So and who who's self-distributing that you get in New York State? Obviously, you know, we do a ton of business with Barrier. We do a lot of business with Other Half. We do a lot of business with Threes. Uh, we do a lot of business with both Adirondack and Lake George and Great Adirondack and Lake Placid. And then um, it was probably oh, uh, LIC Beer Project. Took our first kegs in from them recently. Uh, I'm missing one. Uh, transmitter. Look, I said I barrier. So. Yeah, I said barrier. I said transmitter, but I'm missing threes. Uh, Big Alice is another. Big one. Alice threes. A lot of good ones. Yeah. And then for you, Stephen, like you know, you guys started. You, you have your brew kit company, but you're you're also like a small small business that's been growing. You know, what what lessons do you have for Rich? I mean, because you guys were real small, and 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 because yeah, he's going through a big a big hoop now. I mean. Listen, he was doing everything himself, and, and, and I'm worried about you because I know you're going to do a great job. But, you know, how is he going to be able to do things like distribution and sales? Yeah, I mean, we started in our living room. Uh, that was six years ago. And it's I always love hearing uh, other people that are kind of doing the same thing and probably as, as stubborn as, as we are. Um, but... Yeah, it's just uh, it's an it's an incredible time. You know, don't burn out. Try to get some sleep every right. so often. Uh, it can be it can be really tough sometimes uh, starting starting a small company, especially uh, when it's you know just the two of you. Yeah, are you are you thinking about? I mean, how are you going to distribute? I mean, if you're you're going to have ten barrels a week, so how many kegs a week are you going to make? Uh, if I'm doing half barrels, it would come out to twenty twenty half barrels. If I'm doing all six stills, it would come out to uh, ninety. Um, 24, six, no, 60, I'm sorry. Um, so far, I have a truck now. Looks like uh, a guy that, I bought it from a guy here in, he was actually in Queens, he was in Maspeth, um, Polish guy. He left his sticker on the, and I have a, like a handful of Polish friends that, so they're like, wow, you got this from a Polish guy, huh? And I'm like, yeah, we're keeping that sticker there. But on the back of the, it was from upstate, and it's got all this like uh, Texaco and all these stickers on. I left them on, but we go, you know, I've, I've been out with deliveries with these kegs, and 
so far it's everything has been like you know just a handful of kegs because I've been pumping it out from the small system. But this, the, it's it's a Ford F two fifty. I can load it up so long as I can keep doing it in the winter because it's not covered. That's what's going to have to you know. That's how I'm going to be able to get them out for now. You know, but I I want to do it myself. I don't. I, I mean, I I want it to stay in house. I don't. At this point, I don't want to deal with you know somebody else doing it for us. Our first delivery truck was a Ford F one fifty with uh, police stickers all over it, and uh, like the motorcycles are everywhere sticker. Uh-huh. So for the first like for the first three years, we didn't get a single parking ticket. It, oh. was, it was pretty fantastic. <laughs> I'm talking about part. That's a big part of distribution, right? I used to have a really cool those like PBA little shields on my old car, and then someone stole it one time. So I guess all those police stickers work, right? Nico, tell us more, man. So how are you going to help promote Rich? Get people out there. I don't think that we need to help him promote. Uh, well, I think I mean, everybody wants to go out there. Yeah, I think I'm sure they're going to get a big crowd on November 14th. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. What time will you be opening? You, know, you might as well plan for it. Come we on, we're waiting. Maybe, we were thinking maybe just to go reasonable, maybe 12 to 8, something like that. That's Although a good issue, wife. It, 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 yeah. Lisa's a big part of this. Lisa, yeah. you, you've been supporting Rich, and, and you come to all, you've been going to a lot of events, so I've met you a right. few times. Right. So uh, are you excited about this? Yeah, we're so excited. Uh, we've been working like crazy. Um, he's gotten a lot of free labor out of me, so we're <laughs> very excited for September 14th. Will you be working at the, at the tasting room? I think at least that first day uh, I'll be there to to celebrate and back him up. I I know where everything is actually, so I have to be there. So. <laughs> I think you guys are going to be perfect. It's it's going to be really cool. Um, any, let's have some questions for Rich. This is you know this is a cool day. I'm really proud of you, man. So, cool, man. well, I I did want to kind of say that uh, you know we're talking about Bridge and Tunnel building their new brewery. Um, maybe we could talk about a little bit about the Pony Bar kind of rebuilding their space as well i feel like this is kind of a building episode if we were to give a theme to it but uh you know there was a fire at the pony bar um over the summer right yeah correct uh the sunday morning of memorial Day weekend we uh had an unfortunate incident we were uh we had a terrible fire luckily nobody was uh hurt or injured or displaced and um took about nine weeks to rebuild and renovate and uh we finally got reopened in early august and things are better than ever um, it was really unfortunate. Uh, as as bad as it was, you always sort of look for the silver lining, and then nobody was hurt. Nobody, you know, you know, if you wanted to continue working for us, we found work for you in our other other stores. Um, but it's really been, uh, it has been sort of a rebirth. Um, we sort of had to had a chance to say all the things we never said the first time, and so now we're doing that, and things are great. We added draft cocktails. We have a three draft cocktail line, and we're doing some things. When we opened on the Upper East Side three and a half years ago, everyone said, well, if you don't have beer pong and Bud Light and pitchers and 37 plasmas and wings, you're never going to make it on the Upper East Side because that's what the Upper East Side is. And we said, this is the pony bar. This is what we are. And we'll either sink or swim on our own. And <clears throat> that's exactly what we've done. We've been pretty successful. But now, since the fire, we've been able to add a few things. And one of those things is you know, cocktails on draft. Then we make them in-house. We batch them in-house. And uh, we still do a ton of cascals. And uh, business has never been better. We're really fortunate that the, the people that supported us for the first three years have come back since the fire. You know, how do you run your Cascale program? Um, whatever unions got. No, <laughs> actually, that's not true. Uh, we own our own cooperage, and we mail it around. I mail it around the country. Right next to the Pony and Hell's Kitchen is a UPS. So I, I'll walk over there once a week, and I'll mail stuff. I'll mail it to Knee Deep in Auburn, California, or the guys from Barrier will pick it up. Barrier's done a ton of stuff with us. Uh, I'll mail it all over wherever I can. I'll mail it to Ithaca. I'll mail you mean it. you're mailing pins or no firkins? Yeah, ten point eight gallon. And you just carry firkins. them over there yourself. Well, if they're empty, they're light. Yeah, it's a block. You know, I've been there plenty of times in my F one fifty. I must say, when, when you have to make delivery cutoff times, the small business owner, you go to UPS. Uh, yeah, you to UPS. UPS is solid, and it's always the same question. It's always the same guy. These are empty, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, they're empty. They're still empty. And uh, we mail them around the country, and we get back all kinds of stuff, and, and brewers will dry hop it, or they'll twist it or spin it, to, you know, and we get some stuff that you can't get anywhere else in the city, especially with Knee Deep in, in Otter Creek. We, st- and we send our two firkins, two of our firkins up to Otter Creek a couple times, a few times a year, and they always will dry hop it with anything from, from fruity pebbles to cocoa pebbles to whatever whimsical thing they can come up with, and it's great, and it sells, and it's just great. So That's great, man. 
Uh, we're actually drinking a second beer from Bridge and Tunnel right now. Uh, Rich, what is this? It's uh, the coffee cream ale. Yeah. Um, I did this a couple of years ago. Uh, it's a basic cream ale recipe, and I, I uh, use cold brew coffee that becomes part of the the uh, secondary. So you add, you add the actual brewed coffee? Yeah. You're not working with the beans well, or anything? Um. I add some during the boil, and then I add during the secondary. It's kind of my technique. Is you this know, also like, with the new system? Um, no, this is with the, the small system. Yeah. So I was going to say, you know, I, I do casks as well. If I could ever come and pick up those three empties, you know, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> listen, we can make arrangements. I'll give you a couple of my firkins and, and your three empties. Okay, we'll right, there. there you go. <laughs> but, be, you know, being a, a good brewer, whether, whether you're large or small, it really comes down to the details, doesn't it? It's getting the, the product out, getting your empties back, and, and, and sanitation and, yeah. and everything. Yeah, it's a lot of – got to like the small details in order to be able to enjoy it. You have some good stories. I, I read in Nico's article in Brooklyn Magazine that in, in, your, in your, your small garage brewery, you had some problems. They said you had an explosion. Yeah. And what, what was that caused by? Oh, man. Um, the See, small system. D- Dan's bar burns down. <laughs> your brewery explodes. Yeah. But we're all so, good now, so we're that's all, right. <laughs> Lisa could probably chime in on this, but um, I went out there. You know, you have to get the beer out and brewing in a garage with a door that rolls up. In you know, we, this past winter was one of the oh, coldest winters. So there was a couple of days. You know, there were a handful of times that I went out there and the weather was, you know, ten or less. You know, and um, what I had was what I had built was like a uh, basically a, a, like a, a hot water system on demand, but I built it and I used it as my part of my hot liquor tank. And it took direct fire flame and I used stainless steel coil. But the problem is that when I built it, the coil went up and it went down and went in all different directions. It worked fantastically. It cut my brew sessions, you know, literally in half to be able to heat water up quickly. But when it got cold, there was always a little bit of water somewhere trapped in there, you know? And then last, you know, since I've been building, I started, you know, like triaging things that I thought, oh, I'll get away with it, I'll, you know? And two years ago, I, my technique was put a very low flame, it gently, uh, you know, breaks up the ice and then turns to steam, blows out, and we're up and running. So I go out there, it was 11 degrees. I remember my boots were sticking to the concrete. My hands were sticking to everything that I touched. And I start messing around with this tank of fuel. And there was something wrong with the gauge where it was firing the, the gas out too quick. I'm so glad I'm not in that garage anymore. And it's pushing the gas out too quick, but I'm half. I'm, I'm, it's for, also, I'd start my brew sessions at 3, 4 in the morning because I got 10 other things to do after the session's done. So I'm out there half half awake, and I'm like, man, why is this, like, not, uh, you know, I don't hear anything. I don't hear any, like, ice breaking. What's going on? I'm not really getting this, you know. And then I went down, and I look, you know, and my firebox is homemade and the whole bit, you know, and I go down, and I stick my head under the firebox to see if the tubes are red because then I'm dry firing them, and I shut everything down, but they're not red. So I'm like, wow, I don't know what's going on. And I come back up, and boom, like, shrapnel blasted all over the 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 garage could it it could have literally taken my face off right and the first thing i thought was the neighbors are going to call the cops and i went and i in sh- the whole garage filled up with with steam right sh- i shut everything down shut everything off closed the garage ran into the house i realized i left the light on in the garage ran back off shut the light off ran back in and lisa got up and it's four in the morning and I go right up to her face, right? Because if you, it, it, it was crazy. Like, if you remember, you ever see uh, Black Hawk Down? There's a scene where a guy, like, nearly gets blown up and his hearing is blown out. I get in there. I've never experienced anything like this. I hear the explosion still echoing in my head. And I go nose to nose with my wife and I go, Is it still happening? And she goes, Do you remember? Well, come on, Liz. She's shaking like she doesn't remember. She t- she basically tells me she's like, she's like, you better go and lay down. You you're all shooken up. And I and I went around the house. D- you're really not going to contribute to this. I asked you if there was an explosion. 
Yeah. Right. There was an explosion, but then I went around shutting all the lights off in the house. I was like an 11 year old kid that just got in trouble, and I was trying to hide it because I thought for sure the cops would come in and whatever, you know, or something's going to happen. They're going to shut the whole brewery down. You don't, you don't remember that? I don't remember. Oh my god! <laughs> Maybe it didn't happen. That's the other thing. Thanks, Lee. But these are the ch- he's working so hard well, opening his new brewery, man. It yeah. It Maybe you lost your memory that night, but <laughs> this is a great story. And this is cool, man. This is this is the guy we want to talk to for a while. He's he's doing the real thing. Hypercraft is that is that a good word? Can we use that, Nico? Uh, yeah, you could steal it. Or is that, I thought it was a joke. People don't like that. It was a joke, but I don't know. Yeah, this you is good. It on me. And we had Dan explosions. We got explosions of beer bars. Explosions of this is crazy life, man. What the hell are we doing here? I don't know. But hey, this is a good night. We're going to go out to a Bridge and Tunnel and celebrate their yep. new license. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. You know, HeritageRadioNetwork.org is so, it's so special, you got to be a member. But it, it, it's also involved in so many good things, including Cider Week NYC is coming up next weekend. Heritage Radio Network is, is doing a lot, in, including uh, for the last six months, we've recorded at least 10 really special episodes with some of the pioneers in Insider in America. John Bunker from Maine, for example, and uh, Heritage Radio Network will be airing these special episodes that I'm really proud of for working with all the great people. And a big shout out to Wasail, the great cider bar in the Lower East Side that, that brought in so many people this year for, for tastings and people from out of state. And I know, Nico, I don't know if you're are you covering a Cider Week at all? You have anything coming up? Uh, I might. I'm not entirely sure yet. Yeah. Well, it's a special breed of people, and uh, we're really excited to be part of it. And here's your network. Cheers to you guys. They're running some specials. But we're having a great show. Uh, Rich and Lisa from Bridge and Tunnel, they, they've got their new license for their, their new brewery. Um, and that's really cool. We've heard some stories. Pony Bar Upper East Side had a fire this year. Rich had an explosion in his old brewery, and uh, you know we're learning the the yeah we had those East Village explosion too. So we're all survivors in some way. But uh, Dan, what did you bring for us? It's still you know at the Pony Bar, you're one of our good Brazil bars. One of the guys we look to. When we we want to know what's what's good beer to drink. This is a this is a gift from John Kleinchester. A lot of people know him in the industry as uh, beertography. He works for Two Roads. He's a sales manager for Two Roads Brewing out of Connecticut. This was uh, a gift from him back in the spring. Uh, it's sort of the last whale in my fridge because every time I come out here, I try to bring something really cool. This is um, why do you call it a whale? Well, I guess because it's just a term. It's like uh, it's it's actually probably the incorrect term. Maybe it's an ISO and in search of. Um, but I try to bring things on that maybe people are familiar with, but maybe have never had. This is from Two Roads Brewing Company. It's called Philsomic, and it's uh, 6.5% ABV. It's uh, brewed with 14-year-old Italian balsamic vinegar, um, and it was brewed to celebrate uh, Phil Markowski's 25 years in brewing, and Phil is one of the most decorated brewers in America from his Southampton brewing days. I think he's won something about 22 or 25 GABF medals. Um, I've been doing a lot of business with him back when he was at Southampton and now his own place, Two Roads. Um and again, this was a gift, and I thought it was some sort of unique and interesting. And I've never, I've never seen this beer anywhere. I've never had it. I've never had beer with balsamic vinegar. So here it is. That's good. Who wants to talk about it, <laughs> Stephen? I mean, it's um, it's really interesting. It's a 
I, I, when you said with vinegar, I was a little afraid, um, but it's incredibly balanced. It has a lot of notes that you'd normally expect from a sour beer. Um, yeah, it's really, it's really nice. What do you think, Richie? That almost strikes me like a uh, slightly barrel aged. You know, so that's pretty cool. What were you saying, Nico? No, it's yeah, same thing. It tastes more like a uh, an oak barrel aged with you know a red wine, a red grape. It's good. And I actually just found a 2006 uh, Southampton anniversary ale in my uh, in my collection uh, this past weekend. Uh, so I'm looking forward to opening that too. Did you have a lot of beer, Stephen? We have a lot of beer. Um, but you know, we we still we go through it plenty. Um, you know, breweries are nice enough to send us a bunch um, sometimes, and um, yeah, we we also just whenever we travel, we bring home at least like a case of beer. For with Brooklyn Brew Shop, how do you decide to make new recipes? Because you have your, your your kids with recipes. I mean, are breweries pitching to you? Oh, make a recipe with our. Uh, yeah, every so often um, breweries reach out. We just did the uh, Brooklyn Brewery Sriracha Ace kit, which is really cool, uh, we think. Um, and we did one with Evil Twin and BrewDog. And, you know, we have a couple neat ones coming out next year that we'll, you know, we'll tell everyone about soon. Um, but, yeah, otherwise we just compete for recipes. We're always always brewing something new. I mean, I think just like um, you guys at, at Bridge and Tunnel, you're trying to probably brew what you want to drink yourself. And that's kind of the right. approach we take, too. Dan, how do you go about bu- buying beer? You have you're part of four different bars. Yeah. Three of them are real craft beer bars. You know, with uh, two of them, with Lansdowne Road and Kiabaka, you know, my partner handles that aspect of it. But for the two pony bars, I handle all the buying, and it's a very different clientele. Uh, West Side Hell's Kitchen, we do a lot of IPAs. Um, we always have a cider on. We always have a wheat. We always have a pilsner. Summertime, we'll run a second cider, something more esoteric, maybe a short pour, something. Like a still cider from Farnham Hill, or some of the one of the smaller batch ciders, but on the west side, it's real IPA heavy. Um, they 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 sell extremely well IPA, double IPA, Imperial IPA. Upper East Side, <clears throat> not quite as esoteric. Um, more wheat beers, more pilsners, more traditional pale ales, uh, brown ales, stuff that's not as big, not as boozy, not as not as bold, maybe. Um, you know, you're buying for two different uh, demographics, even though you're on the same island. They're two very, very different clientele. So when I'm looking through inventories and I'm looking at what am I picking up from Barrier or Transmitter or Threes or Other Half, I try to, you know, what's going where and from who, and, you know, what's, what's, what's getting where. Because I know, again, on the Upper East Side, we'll pour a lot more of the legacy brewers, a lot more of the older, more established breweries that people are familiar with. Like which ones? Uh, like Sierra Nevada or Lagunitas or Otter Creek or breweries that have been around 20 plus years that people sort of know that are name brand maybe. Um, we're on the on the west side in Hell's Kitchen. We have a slightly more adventurous clientele so I can put on something that's kind of esoteric from Threes or something that's sort of out there from Transmitter and know that it, it's going to it's gonna sell just as fast. So, and that's good too, you know. It's it's cool to have sort of two palettes, you know. You're sort of you get to be creative, but you get to sort of be mainstream at the same time, you know. Rich, Richie, when you're not brewing and drinking your own beer, are there certain beers that, that you really like or that you you do you ever aspire to make a beer like some other brewery, for example? Yeah, some. I have to admit, often the styles that I do, you know, that where the brewery is so far away, sometimes I I think I'd be nice to do one local. You know, and uh, so what, what are some that that have inspired you? Uh, I did a Chipotle Porter that I believe was from the West Coast. Uh, my Habanero IPA also from the West Coast. I figured it's traveling. Has anyone way. had the Ballast Point Habanero IPA? That's actually we. I was I was in a. It's in the Sculpin. I think Sculpin, Sculpin yeah. Habanero. Great. Habanero Sculpin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which I found a little too spicy for me. And then R- Richie made one recently. What, what's what was the name of yours? Uh, Phoenix, Phoenix on Star, Phoenix actually. on Star, yeah. which I thought was a little more balanced. So, yeah, um, I the Chipotle Porter. It was I think it was two years ago for Queens Beer Week. It was pitted against uh, the Sculpin um, IPA, and uh, I just absolutely loved it. And so I figured, you know, it's traveling so far to get here. Why not make one here? And I did it. I and. 
I did it initially. I named it for we were going to do a story about Bushwick and you know kind of the history of Bushwick, which a lot of people don't maybe you don't really see it these days. Like when when I, when I was a kid going to school, I went to school in the city to Baruch. And you take that M train. Even before that, when I was, you know, teenager hanging out in, you know, the East Village, West Village, you take that M train, the elevator train, and all of Bushwick, East New York, all those neighborhoods, they were just decimated. You know, we were we were originally going to call it Bushwick Burned, and then I was like, I don't want to go down that route. You know what I mean? Like a lot, because then I, I knew a guy whose dad had actually lost his business from arson. I was like, I don't want it to go there. So then my friend, and it was, and I was, I was doing it with the sampler, who's a who's a beer bar in in Bushwick. And then I said, listen, man, he just had a daughter named her Phoenix, and he was on Star Street. I said, let's name it Phoenix on Star. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And we first did it at his place, and it, and he took all the kegs, so it had only only been there. And then I did the second batch, and um, yeah, it's done well. I got three kegs left, you know. That was great. Yeah, and then. Nico. What are uh, what are some of the other I guess newer beers that you're kind of tinkering with for the uh, for the new system that we can expect once the the tasting room opens? Uh, I would I'd like to do a uh, I want to do an oyster stout again, kind of making connections. It's kind of my my thing, you know. I you know I'm I'm, fr- I'm from the neighbor this area. And my my family's from this this area, literally. My father raised my three, my four siblings, I'm sorry, my four siblings on Bogart Street, right over here. And then they moved over toward Maspeth. And um, so I like to tell stories and stuff, you know. Um, but when we were doing the jackhammering, um, once I got down to dirt level, I started finding all kinds of artifacts, which was really cool for my kids because they were actually studying stuff like that in school. So I was bringing home stuff that we were laying it out on so the like, table. What'd you find? Like bones? Oh, or? we found a bone. Yeah. Yep. We found a bone. We found <laughs> bottles with that, that were like literally the bottle tops that were like an inch, almost an inch thick, you know, really heavy duty bottles, plates that had dates on them going back to like the, you know, mid to late 1850s, everything, anything that had writing on it. And I saved it. And then I, and then we also found a ton of oyster shells. And that was like, why would there be oyster shells here in Ridgewood? There's no water here other than the Newtown, you know, the, the Newtown Creek. And um, we got researching oysters. And it was actually a guy that helped me move a whole bunch of equipment in the beginning of the summer. A guy who was a local guy who was a fireman that, wa- that was friends with um, uh, one of my accounts that sold me some equipment. And uh, he was a, a wealth of information on the history of oysters. And it goes so far back, and eventually I want to tell the story about oysters in New York City so far back, like real historical, you know, significance, and do an oyster stout. So that's, that's I'm working on an so oyster stout. There's a lot stout. to look forward to. Yeah. And then last year for Beer Week, I know that you made a, a session IPA for one of the bars near you. Now, that was a change for you. You hadn't really made a session IPA before. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did the session IPA. What's it called? The stickball and... St- uh, yes, well, stickball and Johnny Pumps. Yeah, I did that during the summer. Um, that was more for myself. Another great name. I like when we, were, when we were kids, you know, you would see, I mean, we did it, you know, that's how we spent our summers. We played stickball on the streets and, you know, kids opened up Johnny Pumps all over the place. And now, because there's so much traffic on the streets, kids can't even get out on the streets to play a stickball or t- two-hand touch. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like to tell the story like, hey, you know, like, at one time, you'd see kids on every street playing ball. You know, nowadays, there's just too many cars. They can't, you know, we used to call timeout. Everybody would clear the street. But it would be like every 10, 15 minutes before a car came. It's not like that anymore. You know, even yesterday, I was trying to back in my truck to my driveway in Maspeth to offload stuff, trying to clean it up for you guys for the visit. And I'm literally sitting there like, holy crap, what, what's going on here? It's like Grand Central down this, you know, I'll my, tell you what, my uh, local We're, we're going to do another show this year. We're going to do one about uh, just history of beer and stick pollen. New York, because I know that until 1979, a typical worker could actually have a beer with a sandwich and sit on a bench, and, and it wasn't illegal. And, 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 and that was a big change. So there's been a lot of changes in whether you can drink outside or play yeah. stick ball on the street. But let's do one last round of questions. Anybody has a question for anybody, you know, go for it. Well, I, I wanted to ask Rich also, too. Um, so he made a beer with uh, a pizzeria called Houdini 
that was for, I believe, New York City Beer Week. That's when I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so you're going to make that again, right? What right? beer was that? That's going in next, actually. That, that was a double rye IPA. What did you we, call it? We called it Bound by Chains because, well, for Harry Houdini, who's buried like three, four blocks away from the brewery. And I wanted to do that beer for a long time. And then my friend introduced me to Max, who is the owner of Houdini's. And I said, can't name it Houdini's. In fact, I said, I would like to do a beer about Harry Houdini. He goes, just don't name it Houdini's. I said, okay, well, how about this? I'll name it Bound by Chains, and why don't we do an event together? And then we had this on the bur- the you know, the burner, and then New York City Beer Week popped up last, last February, and Kelly uh, Taylor encouraged everybody to, to do events. So I was like, all right, here's our chance. So we, we, did a, we did the beer, and I kegged it in three-degree weather. Two, two batches, two 50-gallon batches in three-degree weather. 18 kegs I got out of that. Um, but so, that, so we kegged the batch, uh, served it that night along with the vanilla porter as a dessert. We paired it with food, with, with his pizza, and then there was a dessert that we paired. And then I also found a sideshow troupe from Coney Island. And t- t- a guy and a girl showed up. The guy's name was um, Adam Realman, who's now, he's on my Facebook page. He always likes the stuff, you know. And then uh, his partner, Betty Bloomers. And they did Straight Jacket Escapes. They did uh, Swallowing Fire. Uh, the girl did a human pin cushion. She, she like, freaking the audience out, sticking pins in herself. It was wild. We had a blast. And But anyway, so he's, I was talking with Max, and he's like, it's getting cold again when we do that beer. So actually, that was one of the recipes I was working up at the State Liquor Authority today. So we're going to do that next. <laughs> Great stuff. And, and once again, Bridge and Tunnel Brewery opening Saturday, November 14th. We're shoot for Saturday. Yeah. And what's the address? Bump, uh, 1535 Decatur Street. If anybody's interested in In Ridgewood, come, Queens. In Ridgewood. If any, if people L-Train to what? L-Train to the housing stop. If, right. if you're interested, check out the Facebook page just in case something happens and it's canceled. That's the venue we always update. Bridge and Tunnel. All right. No, I just want to give a quick shout-out to Ridgewood, too, because that's where I'm from. And, uh, yeah, that's it. All right. Well, in closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Rich, Lisa, Dan, Nico, and Steven for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Justin Kennedy and Maggie Seiden, to Woo! our engineer, Jack Inslee, and thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website.